Welcome. Welcome to church. What a privilege. I had so much fun uh, working on these parables. I know the staff has felt the same way. Here we are working the summer through parables. And I keep having, I just, even yesterday I had somebody say to me, they were thinking about parables between Sundays. I mean, that's a big success. Between Sundays, you were thinking about parables, guys. I just love it. Uh, unfortunately, it was a parable we're not actually preaching on this summer. But that's not important now. There's many that we're not going to be able to get to. Uh, so this morning, I love Pastor Aaron's parable, I think did beat all as far as shortness is concerned. I'm going to try to rival that this morning, but I'm not going to quite get there. Uh, it's just incredible how Jesus teaches in these stories, sometimes even as long as a sentence and how powerful they are. And that's been such a privilege for us to be able to do that. So I'll ask it like this to get started today, which is, what is the craziest thing you've done for someone that you love? Like, you know, rom-com style, I'm talking like. Uh, or what's the craziest thing you've done to get something that you really, really wanted? Have you camped out? Has anybody ever camped out waiting for something? I know some people who have done like Black Friday sales in the States and have camped out outside of Walmart or Target or something. Because uh, Or what something that you have maybe traveled really far for. There was a concert or a person that you really wanted to see and you just did some crazy road trip or whatever, spent way too much money on something? Have you ever embarrassed yourself or taken a risk or devoted an insane amount of time to something? Just like it's extravagant, something that you've done that's sort of on the edge of extravagant. Um, there's like almost no response from you. So either you are the the like chillest people ever, or you're just like, don't even look at me right now. Don't worry about how long I sat at Target on Black Friday. Don't worry about it. I'm not willing to go back and talk about it. Um, I'm not really an extreme person. I get extremely excited about things, but I'm not an extreme person. Uh, and when I was in college, I was thinking about an example of this, but when I was in college, um, I considered pulling an all-nighter, staying up past 12, like 12.15 to finish an essay. Woo! <laughs> I was up all night finishing that essay. I just didn't do like the four in the morning situation. I just, I don't, didn't do the extremes like that. It was a different situation with my husband who would do the same paper for the same class and write it the night before and I would only beat him by a couple of points. But don't worry about it. It's totally fine. No big deal that I worked on it for two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Don't worry about it. Totally over it. Um, it like I'm not an extreme person in that. If you tell me you like something that I'm wearing... I won't say, thank you so much. I'll probably say, you will not believe a sale I got it on. I got it so cheap. Does <laughs> anybody else? I know you guys do this too. Um, I do love a big romantic gesture in the movies. I like it in the movies. I like it in a rom-com. I'm a little bit too practical for that in real life. I'm happy if I get a surprise Starbucks. Ooh, $5 coffee. Woo! I feel so special. Um, but I know like when I watch it in the movies, it's always like, you know, the big gesture running through the airport, buying a ticket just to get through security, running up to the gate just as the other person is, you know, just about to board the plane. Don't go! Like, you know, has anybody ever done that in real life? Have you ever seen this in real life? No. But don't you love it in the movies? I do. I love it in the movies. I've never camped out all night for tickets or spent every last penny I had to follow a dream, that kind of stuff. Maybe some of you have. I suspect that most of us haven't. We love the stories in theory, but we don't typically live in the extremes. 
Most of us don't. Maybe, maybe a, a couple of times in our lives that we don't live there because that's not the stuff of real life. You, could, you couldn't do that every single day. But there is the capacity in us for these things. There is the capacity in us to go over the top when we really think something is worth it. Any one of us could be a hopeless romantic or a super fan or an ultra nerd or anything else. If we found something that we thought was worth the time and the money and perhaps the pride that it would cost us to, to have that thing or to be that thing. And that's really what the, the parable today points to. It's the ability to recognize when you find something of value that you are willing to trade everything else for. When you find something so valuable in your life that even if you are a pretty cool, normal, chill person, that even you, there is something so valuable that you are willing to go to an extreme for it. That's essentially today's parable. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you're um, on a device of some kind, you can go to YouVersion, the YouVersion Bible app, and you can go to more and then events, and these scriptures are loaded there for you already. Uh, but a couple of really short parables together that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. There's also Bibles in the seat pocket in front of you. There should be a few. You can steal from your neighbor. And listen, I haven't said this for a while, so let me say it. If you don't have a Bible and there's a Bible sitting in front of you, take it home. We don't even care. We'll just replace it, and we're happy to do that. If the one in front of you has, like, scribble marks or something and you want a fresh one, we have fresh copies. Jack would be happy to get one for you at the Welcome Center at the end of the service. Period. You can have Bibles here anytime you want. Isn't that great to know? Just take a Bible. Uh, so Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read these couple of verses, 44, 45, and 46. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's it. Not quite as short as the parable of the yeast from last week, but still, two tiny parables, two men on different paths, and the same lesson being taught by Jesus here. So let's first talk about the man in, in the field. What can we possibly glean out of these like sentence-long parables? So much. I'm glad that you're here with me this morning. So why, why was there treasure buried in a field at, at all? And how on earth did the man find it? I mean, a lot of speculation for a one-sentence parable, I know that. But the, this part of the story, this like burying treasure in a field, would have made really good sense to the first hearers and readers of these uh, of this parable, the original listeners, if you will, people used to use the ground as a bank because it was safer than actually taking it to any kind of institution that would look like what we think of as a bank. There's so often in the, the time that Jesus is teaching this, there's so often the threat of war. And the safest place for your most valuable possessions was to bury them in a place that only you knew they were buried. Um, and so think about the parable of the talents, or um, as it's translated now in the NIV, the parable of the bags of gold, which I didn't grow up saying the parable of the bags of gold. It's hard to say, but that is what your NIV will say. Matthew 25, when he tells the parable of the bags of gold, uh, Jesus is telling the story, and the wicked, lazy servant in that story did what with his talent? He didn't invest it. He didn't even put it in the bank to gain interest. He buried it, right? Because he wanted to keep it safe because he wasn't sure what to do with it. And so he, he buried it. And uh, in, in that case, 
in, in that particular parable, that was not the one thing to do. But he didn't want to lose it, and so he thought that was the safest place for it. So this is the idea in the culture at the time. Uh, did that man then who found this treasure in the field, did he find it by chance? Yeah, I mean, he kind of did, except that um, every, almost every commentator I read on this parable made the point that the reason he found it is because he was going about his business, working hard, working in the field in some way, shape, or form. He was uh, working the field, doing what he had to do, and all of those kinds of things. And in the course of his work, found the treasure. In the course of his life, in the course of his day, um, going about his, his daily things. If he was just sitting still doing nothing, he wouldn't have found anything. But because he was uh, like working and doing things, he found this treasure. So you might ask yourself, you probably haven't, but just in case you did, maybe you've already thought, why did he get to keep the treasure if he found the treasure in someone else's field? Has anybody ever thought about that? He found it somebody else's field. Didn't say anything about it. Bought the field, treasure is his. Is there an ethical, moral problem going on in this parable? Um, but actually, uh, under traditional Jewish law, this would actually have played out uh, pretty, pretty understandably. The, the law, the Jewish law said this, the finder has a right to what he found. As a general principle, that was what the law said. So in other words, finders keepers, right? That's essentially the idea here, finders keepers. However, the caveat to that is if you lift something out of the ground, it becomes the property of the owner of the field. If you don't touch it and then you buy the field, it doesn't belong to the owner until the owner knows about it. So this is what is going on here. Notice how the man did not lift it out and take it home or steal it or anything. He covers it up. He goes and buys the field. Then who lifts it out of the ground? Him. So then he owns it. You see what's happening here? Very useful use of the law here. He just didn't touch it. He saw it. He buried it. He went back. He bought the field. Then it became his. So really no ethical, I mean, maybe you could say he should have told the owner of the field. But let's not worry about that now. Not the point of the parable. Under Jewish law, this was in line with what was allowed at the time, okay? So that's what's going on here. And it's helpful to understand that because we don't want to get, like, kind of our, 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 ourselves all tangled up in a moral, ethical problem. This was very much in line with the law at the time. And the people hearing this in the, in the, uh, the original listeners to this parable would have completely understood that. And the details, of course, don't overshadow the point. The point is this. The man had so much joy when he discovered the treasure, that he was willing to give up everything to make sure that that treasure was his. And Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So then we have the merchant, which he tells, he says again, so like again, same point, I'm making the same point. He says, the, then we have the merchant. The pearl was, uh, is, is thought to be, by historians, the loveliest of all the possessions in the time. It was the thing that was most sought after. And merchants would, in fact, scour the markets of the world to find the most beautiful one. And as opposed to the man and the, and the treasure in the field, this pearl was found by the merchant by him spending time searching, diligently searching. That was what he did. He was looking for these things of great value. And the merchant was uh, supposedly, in this case, an expert in pearls and uh, and, and this one was clearly so much better than any other pearl he had ever seen that he considers it a fair exchange for him to give up everything else he owns to possess it. And he's seen a lot. He's been a lot of places and he's done a lot of searching in his life. And this is the conclusion he comes to when he finds this pearl. 
I read it like this as I was, I was reading about this parable, and it really, it really stuck with me. So we're going to come back to it a few times. There's just something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. It's kind of what this boils down to. There's just something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. A few chapters earlier in the same gospel, Matthew records Jesus teaching uh, people to store up treasure in heaven. Why? He says, because if you store up treasure in heaven, it's a place where moths can't eat it, where it can't be destroyed, where it can't be stolen. That's where you need to put your treasure because everything you have on earth will pass away, will get eaten away, will get taken away, will get spent. And even if it doesn't, after you die, it will become somebody else's. And so he says, store up treasure in heaven. Because if you do that, it can't be destroyed. And then he says, because where your treasure is, there your, you know this one? Heart will be also. This is what Jesus is teaching about treasure just a few chapters earlier. And then a few chapters later here in Matthew's gospel, after these parables, Matthew records an exchange between Jesus and a rich man. And and the rich man is trying to figure out how he can get into heaven. and, and, And Jesus instructs him to sell everything, give to the poor, and gain treasure in heaven. So again, this forward pointing issue. Where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Uh, What do you do when you find treasure? What's real treasure? Like Jesus taught about a bunch about this. And he says to them basically that the kingdom of heaven is the only safe investment. (laughs) Everything else is going to pass away. Everything else is temporary. The kingdom of heaven, what you store up there, what you invest there is the safest investment that you can make. So when you add all of these ideas together, these teachings from Jesus about treasure, and that's not all of them, that's just a couple, you have to start to ask yourself, okay, treasure, what is it that I treasure? What is it that I value? What is it that I am investing in every single day? Does my life look like someone who has found something so incredible that it's worth exchanging everything else I have for it? Because that's the kingdom of heaven. Does my life actually look like that? Like someone who has given up everything in exchange for the one thing that is so incredibly worth it. It's interesting that Jesus uses uh, these two different scenarios to, very briefly, but to make the same point. In the one, the man wasn't looking for treasure, but he found it unexpectedly. In the other, the man was looking everywhere for something of value, but he hadn't found it yet. And when he did, he immediately recognized its value because he had seen so many things before that didn't measure up to it, that didn't compare. Two different scenarios, two different men, two different walks of life, two different um, activities that they were doing, but their response when they found the treasure was exactly the same. When the most valuable thing was found, it was worth giving up everything else that they had for it. Everything had to be sold, everything sacrificed to gain the most precious thing. For the the first one, it was a lightning flash of discovery in front of him. For the other, it was at the end of a long and conscientious search for something of value. And then there is just something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response to finding that treasure. 
It's also interesting in these parables just to note that um, they gave up everything, which is a huge thing. Like this is no small thing that Jesus is teaching in these short parables. But they are not told in the context of, uh, of um, drudgery. They're told in the context of joy. The man in the field made his purchase, what Scripture says, with great joy. The, the man with the pearl must have done the same because he didn't buy the pearl for its monetary value or to upsell it somewhere else. He bought it for the pure joy of possessing it for himself in, in exchange for everything else. Because when we think of the Christian life, and rightly so, we think of the disciplines. We think of sacrificing. We think of self-denial. We think of taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. Giving up our rights. Surrendering our will. And those things are all true. But there's a reason that we do those things, friends. There's a reason that we do those things. Because the kingdom of heaven is so supremely great and so incredibly beautiful and so lovingly ruled by God. And so present with, with Jesus that no giving up in this lifetime could compare with the value of what you gain in exchange. There isn't anything in this life that comes close when you recognize the value of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes to the church in Rome this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, there's something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. In other words, like I love how Paul says that, like brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the only thing that makes sense when you really see the value of the love and mercy of God, of all of the eternal gifts, of the inheritance that we have as co-heirs with Christ when we put our faith in him, when we are transformed in this life and know that we have a final and perfect transformation someday in eternity. Like when we know and consider all of these things, it's just that that's just our our true and proper worship. It's the only thing that makes sense in view of God's mercy, in view of all of these great and precious promises, in view of all that Jesus has done for us, this is the only thing that makes sense when you consider the kingdom of heaven. It's saying our whole lives, our bodies, our minds, our, our, our spirits, our emotions, all of it, we're willing to exchange it all for God's kingdom. And in that exchange, while it does require surrender, taking up our cross daily and being willing to sacrifice and all of those things, It is the most beautiful exchange and worth every single thing. Because the things that we are actually giving up are not taking us where we actually want to go. The things that we are laying down are, are, are not things that are actually going to help us in the future anyway. There's no treasure in them. There's nothing in them that's going to last. But the things that we give up in exchange for what God has for us will be the things that change us forever in, and, and store up the treasure that we can actually have for eternity and the things that are going to matter. But i got to tell you, 
I hope you agree with me this morning. You can see that what Jesus is, is teaching us in those, just in those short few sentences. But i got to tell you, it's not easy to live in that, is it? Just in honesty, it's not. To every day wake up, the routine of going to work, going to school, making meals, cleaning up meals. That's how I feel like my life is sometimes. You just make a meal and clean up a meal, and you make a meal and you clean up a meal. When I became a mom, that's what I, I kept asking other moms. Is this what it's supposed to be like, being a parent? You just make a meal and then clean up a meal, and you make a meal and you clean up a meal, and you make a meal, clean up a meal, and then you go to bed? They're like, pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it, especially in the younger years. Like that, there's just in the monotony of life, in the, in the routine of life, in the pressures and cares and worries of life and all the things that come up, how easy is it to keep this perspective from this parable? But when we, when we hear it, when we, when we hear that there's just something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response, we ask ourselves, am I responding? Is that how I live my life? Is that how I feel about following Jesus, that it is the most precious thing I could ever ask for? It's worth everything else. Has meeting him and knowing him and being forgiven by him and being promised an inheritance in his kingdom given me that perspective? That this relationship with Jesus is so precious to me that it's worth whatever else in my life. When I look at my life, when I look in the mirror, do I have joy like the man in the field or the merchant? Just can't believe I get to possess the kingdom of heaven for eternity, regardless of the cost. Do I recognize the value of the treasure that I'm holding? Or maybe asking the question like this, what would I give in exchange for Jesus? for knowing him, for serving him, for obeying him, for following him with my whole heart. Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In my life, um, the reason that I have often not felt this way, the way I'm describing the way that Jesus described the joy of the merchant and the man in the field, the way I, I was thinking about it, of course, as I was putting this message together, I think so often the reason I have not felt this way or made decisions with my time or my money or my energy or my resources with treasure for eternity in my, in my, in my um, vision is actually pretty simple at its core. The reason I don't choose that is pretty simple. I think for me, and probably for most of us, it's because just simply my eyes were not on Jesus. I pursued a lot of things before our relationship with him. I wanted him to be part of my life. I wanted him to bless my life. I wanted him to be available to me. I wanted him to speak to me and all of those things, but I still found myself and still do sometimes find myself pursuing things that are not him. It's not him first, not seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. It's seek all of these things and still want the kingdom of God sometimes in my life. Sometimes, you know, to an extent, I really would be pursuing Jesus. I would, you know, be on a really good path and, and be feeling close to him and, and be deepening in my relationship with him. But let the worries and cares and busyness and comfort or discomfort 
uh, uh, or whatever it is, um, build roadblocks between me and the Lord along that path. So I'm not thinking about treasure in heaven anymore. I'm thinking about what's right in front of me, trying to solve these problems. Trying to, and I don't have the, the, the eternal perspective. It doesn't feel like joy anymore because I've lost the, the perspective of what the kingdom of heaven really is. That's kind of how Jesus uh, describes the seed among thorns in that parable, which we're also not going to be covering, but it's a great one. Uh, the parable of the sower, where he sows seeds into four different types of soil. One of them is he sows seed into good soil, but the soil is laced with thorns, and the thorns grow up with the seed, and, and, and the crop gets choked out by the weeds. And Jesus says that's like the worries and cares of choking out that faith in your life. And I'm, I've seen, I see that in my life. I've, I've been there, absolutely been there. Maybe uh, for you, uh, you, you know, maybe you know about Jesus because you grew up in a house that, you know, went to church. Maybe you went to Sunday school as a kid and you know these stories from the Bible. Maybe you listen to podcasts or live streams, but maybe you've just never met Jesus himself for yourself. I always talk about this when it comes to young adult years, uh, older youth and young adult years, when you have to make your faith your own. It, it can't be, I say this to my kids, they've got to figure out their own faith. It can't be mine and it can't be Rob's. It has to be theirs. And I, I can't do that for them. They need to encounter Jesus for themselves. And I trust God with their lives and, and to do that. Just knowing about him is not the same thing as possessing a relationship with him as a treasure. Or maybe I think for a lot of us, and certainly this has been true in my life so many times, your faith is built on a, a very real foundation of encountering Jesus at some point in your life. But that happened, and you can remember that time or that experience or the, that encounter when the Lord really spoke to you or whatever, but it's a thing of the past and not a thing of the present. You haven't had much of a relationship with the Lord. And so it's really hard to keep an eternal perspective, the joy of the merchant, the man in the field, to have a perspective on the kingdom of heaven because in the moment that you're in, there's just not much of a relationship with Jesus anymore. It's more of a thing that you are, you know, kind of still pulling on from the past, but it's dry in the present. So I guess in all of these things, knowing our capacity to let the worries and cares of this life come in, to, to get our focus on ourselves instead of something else, to think about uh, the drudgery and the routine of every day and, and all of these other things that would come in and press and crush and, and try to distract us from these things. What would it take for me? What would it take for you to, to, to maintain or, or rekindle a heart that would exchange everything else to gain what you can't lose? by giving up what you can't keep? What would it take for you in your life to, to have that, that truth, that the truth of this parable settled in you, rekindled in you, that desire to want treasure in heaven and to store it up there more than anything else you want in the world? <coughs> sorry. I felt it coming, but I couldn't warn you fast enough to mute that mic, sorry. What marks your relationship with Christ? These are all questions I was asking myself as this parable was starting to hit home with me. What marks my relationship with you, Jesus? Is it joy or is it obligation? Is it patient endurance, that long obedience in the same direction? Or is it frustration and cares and worry? 
Is it the future and fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith? Or is it the present or even the past that just always has my, has my undevoted, uh, undivided attention? I know, that, I know for sure one thing, that knowing Jesus will transform your heart and with it, it will transform your words, your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions. I know this because this has been true in my life and so many people's lives. And so I want to invite you into those questions and into that um, invitation from the Spirit and from this parable that says, is my heart focused on eternity? Is my heart full of joy at being able, even, even with the cares and worries of this world, even with the routines, even with the past baggage, even with all of these things, is my heart in a place where I can focus, I can see the, the goal set before me, I can see the prize, I can see eternity, and I believe with all of my heart that there is nothing like the moment that Jesus, I see him face to face for the first time, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share my master's happiness. I don't know, I, I gotta tell you, like, that's not how I wake up every morning. But from what Jesus is teaching me, that's where, my, that's where I need to be. To remember and to keep this perspective that there is something beyond this life. There is something beyond the pain that you're walking through. There is something beyond the, the cares and the trouble. There is something beyond the confusion. And there's a promise of that for eternity. And let me tell you and invite you in this moment to know that that same presence of Jesus is also available to you right now in these moments, in the here and now, in the already. There's a lot of not yet. There's a lot still to come. There's a lot that's still promised. But in this moment, Jesus' presence with you, kindling joy in the midst of every circumstance, kindling faith and hope in the midst of everything that might come your way tomorrow or the next day, uh, renewing and restoring and rebuilding from a past that's broken. All of these things are available in the presence of Christ today. Matt, would you come, and Peter and Sarah, and whoever's going to come and sing the song, I don't care, whatever, who cares. All of you are fantastic, I love you, come. I want to take a moment in prayer to do just that. Somebody had an alarm set for 11 a.m., just to let you know it's 11 exactly right now. <laughs> off campus, I know you couldn't hear it, there was somebody's alarm was going off, maybe yours is too. Um, I want to take a moment and invite you to invite the presence of Jesus into your life to change your perspective. If you woke up this morning and this is exactly what was on your heart and you said, you woke up, you jumped out of bed and you said, oh Jesus, I cannot wait to see you face to face. My day is going to be spent pursuing eternal things. I want you to take a moment this morning and thank him for his presence in your life and ask him for more. Ask him to settle that deep in your spirit. But if you are in this place where you're like, that's just not where my heart is at. That's not where my mind is at. That's not where my perspective is. And I don't even know how to get back there. I'll tell you, friends, I don't have a prescription for you other, to tell, other than to tell you that being in the presence of God will change your perspective. Pursuing the presence of Jesus in your life will change your life. 
And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will guide you to say, now this, hey, I want to talk to you about this in your life. you You need to let go of this. You need to trust me with this. You need to pray for this. Whatever it is, it's going to be different in all of our lives because he knows us better than we know ourselves and certainly better than I know each and every one of you. But in these things, I want to invite you to just have a a quietness in the presence of Jesus this morning. And I invite you to ask these questions. Where is my perspective? Where am I storing up treasure? Is the joy of my life the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus and his presence or have some other things come along and stolen that joy? So often I I hear from people who do feel this way. They're very open about it and I always appreciate that. And the question is just always, I feel so far away. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. And I just want to invite you today. There's no prescription again for this. I want to invite you to just simply say that to the Lord. Say to the Lord, I want that in my life, but I just don't know where to start. I just don't know where to start. Would you come and meet me? That's where you start, even if you feel very far away from what we were describing in this parable that Jesus was teaching. So let's stand together and we're gonna take some moments in worship and prayer. And I wanna say to you off campus, I'm gonna say the same thing to you, which is wherever you are, however you're watching in your living room or whatever, I know it's a little weird or awkward or whatever, but I wanna invite you to this prayer moment with us. Uh, we're going to be doing this together. Friends here, in, uh, here on campus, if it makes sense to sit or kneel, if it makes sense to come and, and be at the altar for a few moments and lay some things down before the Lord. No one's judging you. Nobody cares. You just take your time with the Lord. If it makes sense for you to just stand quietly or to sit down and journal, whatever, I want you to take a moment and, and listen for and press into the presence of Jesus because I know for a fact that he's here. He promised he would be. And he wants to speak and draw you closer to himself and answer some questions with his presence in your life today. Could we pursue that together for a few moments this morning? Matt, would you lead us?